Today, on Early Music Monday, we take a look at the life and music of Luca Marenzio of Italy, the great Italian madrigalist, and we have a fantastic interview with Hannah Ely, founding artistic director and soprano in the Fieri Consort. This is Early Music Monday. So in the past, I've done a lot of podcast episodes about having success and drive and grit and the art of impossible, those kinds of, you know, leadership, success-driven principles. And I think someone from the Renaissance who exemplifies those principles and who had great success is Luca Morenzio. Now, Morenzio, we're not going to talk a ton about his biography biography um hannah goes into some of that in our interview a little bit later um but we'll do just a brief overview and how i think he kind of exemplifies success as a whole and as a principle so it's really interesting because when you think of when you think of an Italian composer, Italian madrigalist, most of the time, the first thing you think about is the British people's view of him. Not really. But in this case, that's kind of true because he was borderline worshipped by some of these British composers for his madrigal style. So people like Thomas Morley and even composers who you don't think of necessarily as choral composers like John Dowland were highly influenced by Marenzio's style and music. This, this idea of the text is the text itself is the music. And how do you kind of uncover that and how do you express that perfectly and encapsulate not just the sounds of the words, but the meaning of the words as well with the music. And many of the guests on this show who are composers who write choral music have stated that they believe the same thing, that the text is the driver of everything. I was actually privileged to have Ernesto Herrera, Cuban composer who we've had on the show before. He was actually in Utah and it was awesome. He was able to come to my my school and do a workshop with my students and my AP Music Theory students did like a question and answer with him and they asked him all kinds of questions about, you know, how do you think about this and how do you incorporate counterpoint and all these things? And every single, not every single answer, but every single answer pretty much came back to the baseline of, are you expressing the text? So this idea is ancient. And that's what makes choral music so powerful is this idea of the text itself. So Marenzio really, you talk about, when you talk about Italian madrigals, a lot of people think of, and rightfully so, Monteverdi and Gesualdo and that generation. And But if you go about a half generation before, or kind of a compositional generation, you know, if you would think of teachers and pupils, but you have... Luca Marenzio. Now, Marenzio was the goat of his time. And maybe, well, but yeah, 
the goat of his time for sure for sure for those of you musician types out there who are not as well versed in the the lingo of the youths or of the athletic types the goat is the greatest of all time it took me embarrassingly too long to figure out what that was anyway Marencio was the goat because and his music spread throughout the European continent and to England which was pretty significant and pretty rare so looking back now he kind of gets overshadowed by Monteverdi but he his music carried over probably I mean some scholars say that it's a a couple of centuries his fame and acclaim and his music continued on in the circle of what was being performed which is pretty wild back in the day for it to go on for centuries is a wild concept and so their fellow musician um alessandro guarini um said this about marencio quote that musician who goes dispersing delight with his sweetness and lightness determined above all not to offend the ear but enticing it with exquisite sweetness. And then there was another writer, Italian writer, who said this of Marenzio, the sweetest swan who composed in the madrigal style. So, and if you think about and compare, which, you know, you'll hear later, but Marenzio's music compared to Monteverdi's music, you have this concept of, these unexpected chromaticisms or unexpected quote unquote <gasps> rule breaking of the counterpoint it and all in the name of the greater servant which is serving the text there's a greater master sorry not servant a greater master is the text not so much the counterpoint rules but marencio's music has this really fantastic concept of beauty and line to it that Monteverdi and you know Gesualdo as well and those other later Italian madrigalists don't I would not define their music in that way not that it's not beautiful but if you put yourself back in that time and listen with those ears it's gonna it paints a very different picture when you're listening to Marenzio than when you're listening to Monteverdi or Gesualdo, for instance. So, and there's a, there's another quote I want to read from this article that I read about Marenzio that's really fantastic. And it kind of describes his personality a little bit. And to me, I understood all that I needed to know about Marenzio with this one quote in terms of what kind of dude he was. How how would he be if I was interacting with him? If I was in history, you know, what would it be like? And so this actually comes from one of the Gonzagas who he was a musician under and who kind of, the Gonzagas kind of oversaw a lot of Marencio's work and uh, were the, the court and stuff that Marencio worked in. And this is what they said, this is what one of them said about Marencio. He said, In general, I find it good that he would not accept any kind of position 
and that, much desirous of honor, he would not serve under a superior in the same profession. He also insists on stability, and wherever he agrees to serve, there insofar as it concerns him, he would expect to live and die. To sum up, he shows nobility of spirit, and does not find it easy to abase himself for anything, and yet he never fails to be modest and courteous towards whomever he is dealing with. So he kind of has this, in my mind, this air of, look, I know I'm freaking awesome, but I'm also kind and humble and, well, borderline humble, and I'm going to treat you with respect, and I'm not going to be ridiculous, which is kind of a good balance to have, and so I respect that. I could see me and Luca hanging out, you know, working together, being homies. So with that brief little setup, we'll now go to our interview with Hannah Ely of the Fieri Consort. Now, I want to give a little bit of a background on the Fieri Consort. I discovered them just through YouTube. I was looking through fur recordings of whatever. I don't even remember. And I saw their recording of Victoria's Omanium Mysterium. And it's just one on a part. It's true consort music. And I was like, wait a second. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hold on. Wait a second. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Who are these guys? And it was the reason why it struck me so profoundly is because I'm relatively well versed in British choral music in terms of being completely obsessed and being an Anglophile for sure. And I had never heard of these people. And I was like, what is going on? Where did they come from? And so I went down the rabbit hole, and they're amazing. And the reason why I was so taken in is because they so well exemplify the idea of bringing early music out of the museum. And there's so many consorts and groups and choirs and small ensembles dedicated to early music in the UK but and and I thought they had a really unique place in that market though of their approach and using multimedia and th the music that they are doing was different music they're kind of focusing in on Marenzio and not not that they only do Marenzio they do all all kinds of repertoire but they have this sort of specialty i guess in italian madrigals and italian composers they do a lot of italian composers and so it they kind of had this unique voice that even though they're competing in this marketplace that's you know really packed and what we would call a red ocean they they really carved out a really great place and are doing really great work at bringing early music out of the museum. It's fantastic. So I reached out to Hannah, and she was really courteous to to agree to come onto the show. They're doing their fundraising for a project right now that will be released next, next year, spring, I think. And uh, I'll let her tell you more about that um, during the interview, but... For now, and Hannah also is a fantastic soprano, and she sings in all sorts of ensembles and as a soloist, 
So she's got this great musical background, and there's this really great thing that she started that is the Fieri Consort. So we turn now to our interview with Hannah Ely. So tell me really quickly about how the tour is going and where else you're going and how far into it you are and stuff. Um, I'm starting to get to the point now where I'm forgetting what city I'm in and <laughs> what day of the week it is. <laughs> just it's rolls kind of through. weird. Yeah. And there's a lot of like backwards and forwards thing, like to France and then to Germany and Switzerland and then back through France again and then... <laughs> over there and, and then we keep going back to France. <laughs> so, um, so where am I now? I'm in Zurich. Oh, awesome. And, um, and how much yeah. longer is the trip? A long time. Um, it's until in the end of next week. I think our last concert is a week on Friday. Wow. It's Man, quite long. That's a lot of singing. <laughs> is it just one concert per day or are you doing more yeah. than one per day? Or? No, no, no. Okay. Just one per day. And actually next week we have less than one per day oh so nice. we have some days of just traveling it's like fun. rest the voce as my professor <laughs> always so. said it <laughs> yes yeah. yeah yeah that's that's great well it's mm -hmm. so nice to meet you and i really do appreciate you like being willing to come on i i love just the conversations with fellow choral musicians who appreciate and love early music and mm -hmm. it's just given me such a deeper, more rich understanding of that kind of music and then music of all time periods. So it's great to meet uh, a fellow nerd and a professional yeah. like out there in the real world doing it. So how did you start? Very nice to meet you. Very nice to meet you. And thank you for asking me to join. Um, of and course. To join the, uh, the long list of wonderful people you've already spoken to. Sounds like you've had a lot of good conversations. Oh, it's been awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you, so from the time, this is the most fascinating question I, I ask because I just am so curious because, so from the time you said, okay, I'm going to do music for my career to I'm going to specialize in early music, what was that journey like? Or mm. was it, did it come at the same time? No. Or anything? Yeah, I'd just be no, super curious to hear your career story. I do kind of think I'm I'm a little bit unusual in that I kind of slipped into early music by accident. I mean, a lot of people say that actually. A lot of people say oh, I just suddenly got a lute and then I ended up doing early music for the rest of my life. Um, if they were a guitar player, but <laughs> right. <laughs> I think you, you kind of do just kind of get pushed in a, in in a direction by a teacher at some point, and then you just uh, ten years later you you turn around and say, oh, oh I'm doing this now. Am I? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it was a little bit like that for me because I studied piano mainly. Uh, I sang all the time, so I loved singing, and uh, I played the violin. Um, my mum was a is is a, a violin teacher, so I grew up playing in orchestras and chamber music. Um, that was my favourite thing to do, really, to play the piano or play in string quartets, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and then I went to uni to do music in Manchester. And then I went to Trinity Laban in London to study piano. And that was specifically modern music. Right. So I was really still nowhere near the early music, even right, though I was sure. 22. <laughs> and uh, I was studying Stockhausen and Lackermann. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, which was really fun, actually. <clears throat> oh, I'm sure. 
Mm. It's a completely different tonal world, but or not even tonal. I shouldn't have even said that word. What am I saying? But yeah. sonic world, I should say. Sonic world, good, good, good phrase. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then I, I was still singing all the time in choirs, and in choir you can't really escape from early music. It, it's going to come into your repertoire at some point, which is fantastic. And, and then I did this training course with the sixteen called Genesis 16 mm. and and that's really from then on I've just been in that world because they they showed us um specifically they showed us consort music so yeah. for the first time I was able to do chamber music as a singer yeah, yeah. and I love that so much I mean before I'd obviously done lead and, and things like that but this was really fun singing on your own part as if you're a violinist yeah. And you're all making music together and you're rehearsing together. And then when you perform to the audience, they can see that that you're all having a great time, just the four of you or the five of you, and you're making music in that chamber way. So I suppose yeah. that's how it yeah. And it's like, that's so fascinating to me because it, it really does. It seems like not just musically, but th there's something about, I know this is not on topic really, but there's something about going back to things that you experienced in your youth that you kind of like rediscover yourself, you know? And so mm -hmm. th this kind of connecting this consort idea and chamber music idea with this singing idea. And that's really what early music is so good at yeah. is creating that sense of, okay, well, who's the conductor? Well, we all are. Let's just react. And that's what yeah. counterpoint is, right? So I think that's really cool. Exactly. And it makes total sense that you would kind of re-fall in love with it again if if that's mm. kind of what your passion was as a youth. So that's cool. Yeah. So Absolutely. then how did Fieri come out of that? Because are you the founding member of Fieri, the, the founder of Fieri, right? Yeah. 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 So how so did actually, that kind of come about? Out of that training course the um, the with the 16, we spent a year as a group of 22 singers. And um, we met four times in that year to be trained by Harry Christophers and Eamon yeah. Dugan and various members of the 16 and just got to sing loads and loads of repertoire and had a really great time. And at that point I was living in London and a few of us were living in London and we didn't want it to end. So at right. the end of the year, the, those of us that were in London decided just to keep going and we created Fieri. Wow. It took us ages to think of a name. <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. six months or something. That's awesome. <laughs> well, how did you find one? Yeah. How did how did you settle on that? Oh gosh. Um it's all a bit of a blur, but I, I do remember having a Latin dictionary at my in, in my hand at one yeah. point and just looking at words and being like, mm, is that a good word? No. Is that a good word? No. <laughs> That's the best. It's like it's and like searching for baby names in a baby name book. <laughs> <laughs> Open it up somewhere. No. Yeah. No, we're trying to think of words that that had some kind of meaning for why the group existed. Mm. So because we came out of Genesis 16. Fieri actually is sort of the verb fio, which means to become. Mm. So we were born in Genesis and then we became wow. Fieri. Nice. And the idea is that you keep growing. So Fieri That's keeps cool. growing because you're, you're learning from each other. Yeah. Um, I really so like Fieri, that. Yeah. I think it's a sort of some kind of conjugation of that verb. But it also, yeah. interestingly, in Italian means proud and noble mm. 
which wasn't quite what we were going for, but actually I kind of like it. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. I think there's some really great like life lesson and I'm not trying to just stretch everything to early music, I swear, but really it's that <laughs> that that organic growth that you find in in Renaissance particular like the high Renaissance individual line that just this organic path of growth where where does the phrase grow to naturally and where is your life progressing naturally? I think that's really cool. I think that's amazing. Yeah. And you're always learning. You're always researching and discovering and learning from each other. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. so if I could ask then, what are the, some of the connections? Because I actually find a lot of connections with the more I've done the podcast and the more I've researched and the more I've you know composed and worked with composers – have found this really deep connection with some of the mindset that Renaissance composers supposedly had and the mindset of these 20th century modern composers. Mm -hmm. Do you find, I mean, I mean, I don't know about Stockhausen. I don't know enough about <laughs> Stockhausen, but what are some principles that you think are, were kind of established in the Renaissance that you find kind of streamlined through either maybe came back in the 20th century or have kind of consisted throughout time that give the mm -hmm. Renaissance it's kind of pays its due of this is why it's the foundation. Um, there's all sorts of paths you could go through, go down with that question, aren't there? Um, yeah. I, I'm thinking about, I'm thinking firstly about word painting mm. and it always comes back to the way that the composer wants to express words whether they're single words on their own which i find really interesting yeah or whether it's the meaning of the the whole piece as yeah. an overall idea but obviously they they start with that even the composers who aren't writing music for text to be sung right sometimes occasionally in fact on our latest album michael east does that he writes music for vials yeah. based on words single words wow and so he's got that sound world in his head yeah that he's trying to evoke with with just music and music is really abstract yeah I mean, so you can't abstract. represent things with with music it's just a sound it's just some sound waves that especially when you put it with other players and other voices um i'm getting carried away but um... no that's no keep keep carrying <laughs> keep carrying yeah, away because <laughs> that so... to me that sounds exactly like the kind of thing so i know i know a a friend of mine is doing his degree i think he's doing his masters in composition somewhere and it's all that really academic music right and, and a little bit more avant-garde but he's writing he's doing a piece where it is just this idea of the sound of the words are dictating everything that he does. So it's lots of that kind of Sprechstimme, spoken, mm. sung, mix kind of thing. It's really, and it's really fascinating because I was like, man, it, there is a lot to explore. So that's fascinating that Michael East was doing the same thing yeah. way back then. And it sounds like what my friend Stuart's doing. <laughs> they said and, the and same it's phrase. Also, it's also not even just the composer. I mean, absolutely. That's, right. That is fascinating. But what's so nice about being a performer is that you get to put that expression in as well so you know they, they can't just write the music and then you mm. sing the text and it will work because um because the composer's done their job you've right. got to do it 
the performance yeah. goes, then actually be thinking, oh, this is Pekavi, I've sinned. Yeah. So I've got to sound something about <laughs> this has got to sound like like the world of sin or yeah. or a sort of feeling of, of I've sinned and the guilt or uh, that's yeah. what I was just doing in this concert just now. This the conductor is Philippe Herrvega, and he's oh, he's wow. all about the te- the text, and he's looking at you, and he's he's almost mouthing the words that you think. Come on, you've got to express this sin. Yeah, the and legend. Once more and more and more all the time. I mean, we're yeah. on concert five or something now, and he still see gets more out more out of us, so he, and it's the whole choir he's got to get it out of. So yeah, you're always thinking about the sound world of the text. Yeah, that's amazing. And yeah. how that reflects the emotion. And it can be different, right? Like it, it doesn't, it's not like, okay, this is one solid thing, but but you can get into, I don't know, that this random tangent of mine that I just had of kind of slightly improvisatory kind of thing where it's like in the moment of performance, you're changing it, which is definitely a 20th century idea. Yeah. And, so wow and so it's, it's it, also a super early and a super early idea as well yeah especially because often and this i have to keep reminding myself of this often the musicians were actually performing sorry stupid thing to say the composers <laughs> it's late it's late <laughs> it's all forgiven <laughs> um like for instance barbara strozzi so yeah. we, we we did a big project on barbara strozzi a few years ago and 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 she was yeah, really awesome. the main performer of her music. And she wouldn't have been singing her music that was written down. She's just kind of improvising as she's going along. Yeah. And um, and sort of re- responding to the audience. So she's speaking poetry to them, seeing how they react. And she's singing in a certain way to build on that sort of rapport she's got going on. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely gone down a tangent now, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, well, no, it's, I mean, but it, and you take that same, so there, um, there's a Cuban composer who's kind of up and coming. His name's Ernesto Herrera, and we actually commissioned him to write a piece for us, and BYU Singers has, has had him, uh, commissioned him as well. But he came, he's in LA now, but he, he came to my school, he came to Provo to, do things with BYU and he came to my school just a couple minutes south of there where I'm teaching high school and he taught my students like the first page of one of his pieces and said okay cool now I'm going to play something else and he just kind of improvised on top of these chords and I was like mm-hmm. wow most composers would just be like okay but this is what I wrote and let's glue to it but he's all about mm-hmm. like well let's do it then in a different way and so I, I think that's definitely yeah. like this early idea that kind of made a made a comeback in the 20th century modern time of, okay, well, what's a different way to tell this story? What's a different way to tell this mm-hmm. story? And you can kind of see what comes out naturally. So yeah, absolutely. And we, we also, we work with um, Ben Roweth a lot, who's mm. a fantastic composer um, in, the, in the UK. And well, he's actually in Fieri. He's one of our singers, but he's also a fantastic, fantastic composer. And oh, awesome. he, He's really flexible when we're singing his music, and often he'll change things because he'll just hear how how it might be how it might be better or how it actually yeah. works more closely to what he was trying to achieve. Hmm. But he'll do that in in the rehearsal. Wow, cool! Really nice. It's very cool to work like that. Yeah, that's amazing. And again, we get this idea that early music, at least in America, I don't know what it, I, I think 
I have a hunch that it's slightly different in the UK because of the choral tradition there. But mm-hmm. in America, we get this idea that early music is just this this museum piece, and it's not to be touched, it's not to be meddled with, mm-hmm. it's not to be changed. Mm-hmm. You make it. It sounded like this. I know I was there, basically kind of <laughs> mentality. And so, don't touch it. And it has to sound like this. Yeah. Where it's like they were so practical too, though. They were doing that. Yeah, they were changing it left, right, and center all the all time. All the time. Yeah. And they were changing it depending on which musicians they had in front of them. Like, right. do I have some women? Oh, okay, let's do it with women's voices then. And oh, I'll need a harp, and I'll need. Whatever. Yeah. I think that's work. fantastic. Yeah. So, so speaking of this connection then between kind of the old and the new, mm-hmm. and maybe not in a covert way, but in underlying principles, tell us about the the film um, Short Walk, I believe it was called, mm. that, that you guys did. Because it is, it's this avant-garde idea, but there are these underlying principles that are the, have never yeah. changed. Well, there's so many things in it that we've talked about already. Um, so actually, it's it's by Ben Roeth. The piece of music is by Ben Roeth. Um, oh, and... nice. I didn't make that connection. That's awesome. Okay, uh, cool. Yeah, yeah, I probably didn't mention before. Um, so we recorded pieces from Musica Transalpina, the anthology that was published in 1588 um, in England, full of Italian madrigals. And they were all translated into English so that English people could enjoy seeing them and understand them. And so we performed some of, we, we recorded some of those pieces. There's loads of them, there's like 87 or something in that, in that anthology. And then we asked Ben to write something as a response to the idea of them. Yeah. And we kind of gave him complete free reign, which was really cool. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, he he took this idea of the fact that the language, which was supposedly Italian, where the music had come from, um, couldn't be understood by English people unless it was translated. So it kind of, it travels geographically, but it mm. also travels into a different language and then it becomes understandable and then it's mm. accessible. Yeah. So he wrote this piece about how a, a person can it's a very complex piece. There's so many themes in it, but I yeah, don't want to cool. summarize it. But, but he, it's kind of about a person who, who is trying to understand themselves or is trying to understand an idea in their head or is trying to make sense of where they belong in society. Um, and it, there's a lot of ideas of, of, of a misunderstanding or, or mm. things not making sense because of language. Um, so he wrote that piece and it's in four movements and we recorded it a few years ago. And then uh, since then, we've really, really wanted to make a film with it because the music's yeah. really quite cinema, cinematographic. Um, and during lockdown, one of the lockdowns at some point, <laughs> um, right. it was in January. It's, this project started in January this oh. year, 2021. We found the film maker Sophia Cargom and she loved the idea she loved the music she has a background yeah. in music and, and dance as well wow. and then she made this really beautiful film yeah so beautiful to to as a response to the music and I just love the point that she was able to listen to this music that was super abstract um quite complicated 
and she created something like that, that had a narrative. Yeah, this is a re- the, really clear yeah. journey yeah. and path. It is a clear a clear path, but it's also not too prescriptive. So you don't right you don't absolutely have to know what's going on or like what she wants you to think. You're allowed to take from it what you want, which is yeah. the point that Ben wanted to make as well. So they they just worked so well together. It was really amazing to watch. Wow. So now we have this film with music, which is very exciting. Yeah, that's really cool. And yeah, I hope whoever's listening, I hope you go get a chance to go and look at that and uh, yeah, buy that. It's and website. it's all on Fieri's website, which we will post in the show notes. And it, I haven't watched all of it. I've seen the trailer like four times because I was like, ooh, <laughs> this is cool. And then it's on my like queue of things that I have to keep coming up to do. And I'm like, okay, I have to, to do this. <laughs> yeah, cool. Um, now with that then, because I think that there's some, regardless of contemporary versus early or early versus contem- contemporary, there's these kind of, like we've been talking about these principles, it's kind of underlying things. What do you, um, what keeps, is there, so of Marencio's music, to kind mm-hmm. of segue into your next project that, that Fieri's doing, um, what are some of those concepts in Marencio's music well, first of all, tell us a little bit about, as if I know nothing or whatever, just tell us a little bit about Marencio and his place mm-hmm. in the timeline. Yeah, sure. Um, so Luca Marencio, um, he is 16th century composer, Italian composer, and he died, I think, in 1599, if that's right. Um, and he traveled around Italy a lot. Um, he's quite unusual because he never actually took a position at court as a composer, not like Monteverdi um, and all sorts of people. Uh, most Italian composers you you could name were kind of famous because they had a court position, right? Or they right. were Kapel Kapelmeister somewhere. Um, but Morenzio didn't have that. Um, so he, but he actually still surprisingly became quite famous all over Europe. He actually had a lot of music published and um, and and was used as an example as what you could do for composers coming after him. <laughs> so he was, right. he was very, very inspirational. Um, right. It's kind of trailblazer almost of. Yeah. And then obviously Monteverdi comes along and. Yeah. Blows the door off. <laughs> very, very controversial. <laughs> but yeah. 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 Um, so where am I? So yeah, so it's Marenzio, and he is basically our fav- favorite composer. <laughs> um, we just keep coming back to him. We started record. We recorded our first album with him on, and now we have recorded uh, what, what's going to be our next album, which is entirely him, and it's nice. all his seventh book of madrigals, which That's amazing. was published just before he died. Um, so it's one of his latest works. Yeah. Um, so what keeps bringing you guys, head. what kind of keeps bringing you back then? Why does it? Well, yeah. You know, I guess you're probably going to go there. I just can't handle the the suspense anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to describe it in words, actually, because I have to keep trying to put this into words. Yeah. Um, he's, he does, he does really clever things with, with like six voices um, where you get, 
it's kind of it's kind of it's not just like it's a surprise what he's doing it's not it's not just oh that was a nice surprise like just well do right and, right oh, he's done that <laughs> It's not just that he just you know, it sets it all up really well and it goes somewhere really satisfying and um he really gets the text, I think. And mm. you feel you feel a lot more emotion from his music. Uh you can put a lot more in when you're singing. Yeah. I think that's what I think that's why we keep coming back to it. It's like yeah, maybe because it kind of is so relevant even now, like we can we can put all our, our we can put all our expression into it. We don't have to be thinking, oh, this isn't how they used to sing it. <laughs> let's, let's just make sure right. we uh, play by the rules. Um, yeah. So it really suits our voices. We can really sing into it um, and do really fun stuff with it. Yeah, I think to me, and I'm not as familiar with Marencio's music as I am with some of his contemporaries, but I've been listening to some in preparation for this interview, especially. But <clears throat> I also th I think that there's something really singable about it, where it's like, so even though if you take this, these, I mean, again, I think even the word expressive could be viewed very differently, too, because you can say that Monteverdi's late madrigals are expressive but even though some mm. of those some of those things are not like singably expressive but it's like he is literally trying to put the words into sounds mm. Mm. almost to a point where it's like it's not quite this singable line at the same time and I mm. think that's what Marencio keeps for me that's what Marencio keeps is that sense of like this is still really satisfying to sing yeah. and it has yeah. this line while he's doing this kind of, he kind of sets the table for Monteverdi to go a step further. Right. Mm -hmm. Or, or Jeswaldo, but some of Jeswaldo's lines are really hard to navigate and not, not necessarily <laughs> the most purpose, <laughs> oh, <laughs> link from the, yeah. from uh, yes, the, the Italian Renaissance Poulenc, Right. But, um, uh, it, but Marenzio still has this kind of older sense of this singable line, I think. And I think and, that's a very good point. Yeah. Yeah, and I love it. Like I was like, oh my gosh, why didn't I? Why don't I listen to more? So I totally yeah. get that you would want to come back to it as a singer because. So what what mm. sets up maybe his, when you say kind of his at his best, mm. his the seventh book, maybe mm. if you could describe and and maybe we can explore it together of his journey from maybe the beginning to the end because all those Italian composers had this like. I'm going to start writing like this and then I'm going to do this mm. crazy thing here by the time I get to the end where it's like, whoa, you <laughs> so did he have that yeah. similar kind of journey? And what do you think are some of you those mean, things that you he mean over in? his, uh, over his lifetime? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I think at the beginning he, um, I mean, there are a lot of Marenzio madrigals full stop. There's yeah. so many hundreds and hundreds. hundreds and uh, a lot of them. Actually, this is probably why he was, quite famous and did so well and um was published all over the place he did write for the masses as mm. well as writing for the uh for, for himself i think he did both i think he yeah. he he you've got some really basic four-part Renzio madrigals which i don't sing very often <laughs> because right <laughs> they're just like oh, okay yeah that's a nice song whatever yeah right um, right right but for some people that's just that's like a it's, it's it's a way to get into madrigals or yeah um 
Yeah, but then he goes right the way through some slightly more complicated five-part stuff. Um, and then the six-part pieces, as I've already said, are just really amazing. And that's his, like, that's him at his most complex. And it's most the most impressive writing, I suppose. Yeah. And towards the end of his life, I, th I believe he he had quite a dark final few years where he didn't really have his didn't really know where his home was and his his patrons or the people that are around him that had sort of supported him before were uh passing away oh my, no. and, and he was writing books dedicated to them and it was all mm. sort of thinking about death and yeah 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 um so that the the poetry that he was reading and that he was setting music to was very morbid and and sort of reflective maybe looking for peace as well though not not sure. just not like horrific just a little bit less of the boy meets girl girl doesn't <laughs> like boy <laughs> Why like me oh where was me go kill myself <laughs> kind of <laughs> yes <laughs> kind oh, of I'm madrigals yeah, yeah a few of those yeah nice so he did write some of those but but at the end the last yeah. few years you definitely didn't really go in for that so much but that's why this seventh book is interesting because he's taken um he's taken a story called Il Pastofido which is written by Guarini um and he's taken just little sections out of this out of this play and set them to madrigals and there are 17 madrigals in this book oh, that wow. are set to the poetry by Guarini. There are also a couple of extra pieces in the book, but um, they're not by Guarini. They're just mm. little like interludes. Um, but there's 17 madrigals, I think I've got that right, uh, that are taken from the play. So you've kind of got a bit of the boy meets girl, girls and light sure. boy thing, but it's within this aspect of a, of a whole play, which is a tragic comedy. It's not it's not just a romance and right. it's not a comedy and so it's he's got all sorts in this book and you know that they're all connected and you know also that there's different characters speaking as you go through and they they interact with each other yeah um so that's there's a whole so, extra world there yeah I, f I feel like that's i mean i don't i don't know my opera history but i feel like that sets the stage for what it's, would become opera because that's does, like yeah. You're telling the story direct, yeah. like more covertly and more in a context of a, like long form, long form versus Absolutely. individual madrigals, it's, right? It's a narrative in a book. Yeah. So um, it's, it's not, it doesn't come before opera. We do get opera a little bit before that, but it does come before Monteverdi's operas. Yeah. I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like you got all these dates um, jumbling in my head. Yeah, <laughs> like, me too. I'm thinking like of Mon uh, Monteverdi's early operas were just in the 1600s, weren't they? I think just mm -hmm. early, very early 1600s. So only about 10 years later. Yeah. So it's it's all roughly around the same time of people thinking about telling a story and having one long arc of singing about something and, and how can we express the text through our voices? Yeah, that's incredible. So then what do you do? You're, you're coupling, so your album coming out soon, your project is with video animation correct yes. so tell us more about 
you know, the 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 online trailer for it or whatever. Just kind of give us a mm-hmm. breakdown of what the project is and how it all came about and what you're like most excited for. <laughs> so, um, because this is a really cool story, it took me quite a lot of months to get my head around it. It's it's really complicated. It's <laughs> it's yeah. like it's like Shakespeare. Um, it's before Shakespeare. It's pre-Shakespeare. Um, and there's all sorts of things going on with people getting each other mixed up and people getting yeah. trapped in caves and people being sacrificed to the gods <laughs> and then people as as you do <laughs> <laughs> and people being long lost sons of somebody and uh, all sorts of things that's um, amazing it's a very very complicated play and it gets oh it just gets so complicated towards the end <laughs> and you think how on earth is this going to resolve um yeah and yeah anyway so we we had the, all these uh, madrigals that we wanted to make sense of now because there's only 17 madrigals Marenzio doesn't manage to tell the whole story <laughs> within right. those 17 because it's too complicated and he yeah. kind of jumps over the whole section where everything gets tied together because that doesn't really make very good music the, the poetry isn't so romantic and dramatic right it's, so, so, so yeah, we thought, how are we going <laughs> yeah. <less poetry. laughs> to tell this story? Um, and how are we going to get past the problem that it's all in Italian and our audiences don't usually speak fluent Italian? Yeah. And, uh, and also, this was all at the time that COVID was um, taking hold. So it was in the first lockdown that we came up with this plan where everyone was starting to make films of themselves right. singing. So you were doing streamed concerts, weren't you, in, in your living room or in the back garden? Yeah. And we did, we kind of, we could have done that. But we were thinking, like, what else can you do? What other, what other visual thing can you do to go with the music that will enhance the music that's not just yeah. watching us through a screen? And so... One of our singers, Tom Kelly Tenner, said <clears throat> that he had been to a concert um, a few months before um, where the Scottish Ensemble were performing um, a sort of modern take on the Four Seasons by Vivaldi, mm. where they were working with uh, Anna Meredith, composer who does a lot of electronic music, and the piece was called Anno, and she was... And she, she'd commissioned her sister, Eleanor Meredith, to uh, accompany, to, to make to make some illustrations that were animated to go with this piece. And wow. Tom said it, it was probably the best concert he'd ever been to. Wow. We were thinking, hmm, okay, <laughs> can we use her? And <laughs> That's really cool. 50 minute long animation for us that tells the story of Il Pastafido. <laughs> Just a small and, little project. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, to cut a long story short, she said yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> and she and I have spent quite a few Zoom sessions going, how on earth do we tell the story <laughs> of El Pastofido through an animation? Um, because her animations aren't aren't very representational. It's not like here's a, right. here's a person and here's another person. <laughs> right. It's this um, abstract, abstract and yeah, yeah, which I really like. 
because that's that's kind of this modern idea of I, I don't want to prescribe to the audience what to feel and think mm. like a film. Right. I want them to listen to the music and take from it what you want because that's what we love about music. Yeah. It's 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 up to you how you interpret it and what what you think in the concert. Yeah. Or when you're listening on your on your headphones. Um, so we didn't want the, the visuals to detract from that. So, um, yeah, it's been so interesting to, and so creative to try and work yeah. out ways to convey the story and or to, not just to convey the story, but to convey the feelings that Morenzio was trying to express. Yeah. Because that's a tricky balance to find is how do you how do you tell a story that has a very clear narrative but then let the audience choose what they want to take away. That's really hard because usually the audience yeah. then, when they hear something abstract, they create the story in their own head. But if they already have the story, then they're going to have to, well, then, yeah. So I can imagine how tricky of a mm. balance that is to find where you're like, okay, yeah. and tell the story, but still leave it to them. And that's, I'm really excited to yep. see it. I think it's going to be amazing. I mean, yeah. It's it's really all about the music as well because the, I mean the story is 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 a play like if you want to know the story properly you should go and watch the play yeah. or read the play that's that's yeah. kind of my attitude to it and but we're doing the music side of it mm. and these emotions yeah, like that, that. Come out of it. and and it kind of is a different emotion you you wouldn't feel those same emotions if you watch the play sure yeah that makes sense it's, it's already I guess Marenzio himself removed it once already yes exactly. right and then so then. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. So yeah. tell us about like the crowdfunder and all of that stuff, because there's yeah. there's all kinds of um, you know fundraising and support that we the audience can give and. Yeah, well, we are we are really um, grateful for anybody who wants to support this um, this crazy project <laughs> yeah. that we're doing, and um, we are crowdfunding at the moment uh, just to get it over the finish line. Because obviously we have recorded the music already. Yeah, um, we did that in October last year in the second lockdown or something when everyone just went <laughs> crazy for doing recordings because that's all you could do. Right, it's <laughs> we, like all we you managed could do. to get a recording going. We're like, okay, let's do it. Quick, go and go record. Um, yeah, and then uh, obviously we've started working with Eleanor as well. But now we need to finish all the process of the animation, and we need to actually make the the actual cds exist right all over the finish line so that's what we're fundraising for now and then yeah. we will release it next year in 2022 in the spring fantastic that's amazing so when is the deadline for the when people can donate for that project for the um, crowdfunder specifically i guess i think it is midnight for you guys in utah it's midnight on monday night so Tuesday morning. Oh, gotcha. So this up this the upcoming Monday. It's pretty soon. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. Well, I'll put a, a th this episode if you're listening live is Monday, so you have till midnight tonight. Exciting. But I'll put a little ad on Friday, so in two days. I guess if you're listening, who cares? But I'll put an ad <laughs> and stuff, a little. I'll play this little clip on Friday or Saturday so people can have some time. But I, I would love for because I think so. This is why this is why I love the work that Fieri's doing and this new project and like why it speaks to me so much is because I I again I'm trying to help like Utah especially has this great love of the arts, but 
they don't really know they're not as well versed in early music or academic music and so again it's not very approachable it's not very accessible and mm. and I don't think a lot of historically speaking there's not a lot of early musicians who have really helped break down that barrier and mm. so just bringing early music out of the museum is like my number one goal in life Fantastic. <laughs> like yeah. this is why this is so amazing and I have such a passionate personality you will like it okay <laughs> kind of thing and so, and so like I tell my audience, you will love this, listen to it now, you know, kind of yeah. thing. So, and I love, so I love when I see groups uh, and who are bringing early music out of the museum. So when I saw this Marencio project you were doing, is like, I have to interview her because this is fantastic yeah. of this, of this animation. And it brings a whole new element of, okay, well, I'll go look up this, the, the, the summary or the synopsis of the play and I'll listen to it. Okay. It's in Italian. Who cares? Let's read the lyrics and you can find, I just think that there's so many different ways to approach this particular project that you guys are doing that it offers a lot to a lot of different people maybe who aren't used mm -hmm. to hearing choral music and by extension choral Renaissance music in this way. Mm -hmm. So I was just immediately taken by this project. So I'm super excited. I think it's going to be oh, great. Thank you. So, but yeah, it's really going to help people love Marenzio. I mean, if you've never heard yeah. of him before, now you're going to listen to all of his music, except maybe yeah. not those those boring four-part <laughs> magicals. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <Those 20 brothers. laughs> yeah, but that's the but, great yeah. thing. Because to me, when you said that, I didn't realize that he had that kind of uh, writing for the masses history either of like, um, cool, my like men's chorus has eight kids in it and their voices are all over the place in their voice change. Oh, okay. Like it's insane. Yeah. So, yeah. but I could have them do with the women's chorus. They're all beginners. They're 15. They could sing Marencio versus yeah. then these high level professionals like the other ensemble I conduct or Fieri consort or the 16 or whoever. Mm -hmm. And it fits everyone in between. So he kind of does that himself which I think is this yes. really cool connection yeah. that we can help it him. <laughs> but it's, it's also, it's the same connection that the people had 400 years ago or five, right. yeah, 450 years ago. It's just the same, isn't it? We're just the same yeah. as those people. Yeah. It really is They're a different. wild concept, but mm -hmm. we think, whoa, it's a different, you have to change your paradigm and you do to a certain extent, but then there's some things that you're like, people are people and they've always been people yep. and you have this, I don't know. So, I'm yeah. really excited. So I, I will uh, definitely, and uh, if, if you had to, well, outside of this book of seven madrigals, so we don't like give any spoilers away, but if mm -hmm. there was another piece or madrigal or motet by Marencio, mm -hmm. that it's like, this is the piece that should be used to introduce maybe like choral Mm -hmm. People who are choral enthusiasts to Marencio, what's maybe one or two that you think are good gateway drugs into the world of Marencio? Um, well, actually, we always perform. Oh, and I'm thinking of loads. Uh, <laughs> 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 um, I was going to say there's one called Altra Or Aurora, which is uh, another dawn, another sunrise, and that is on our first album, Tears of a Lover, uh, with a whole load of other Marenzios. There's a whole 10 movement cycle that he wrote. Um, 
and that one, the Ultra Aurora, is so gorgeous. It's very, it's very unusual. It doesn't really sound like what you expect to hear from an Italian magical. Nice. Okay. Don't want to listen. I'll put I'll put a link. So in the show notes, I'll put a link to Fieri's website and links to those albums as well, the the albums that you've already placed, and they can the audience you can go check out all of Fieri's work. It's it's really great. Like consort music is kind of a foreign concept somewhat in the United States. And so for those of you listening, be sure to this one on a part stuff is a really cool color and texture. And so mm-hmm. to hear the Italian I don't know. It's just really exciting. So I'm going to go listen to that one too, because I'm not as familiar. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to go do my homework now as well. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you again for, for taking the time. I know it's so late and you have so much traveling and singing to do. So 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 I'll let you go. No, thank you. (laughs) That's really great. So I can't end the show until we've listened to some Marenzio. We've like set this up and then it's like, cool, go do it on your own. No one's going to do that. I wouldn't, I'm not going to do that. Who's going to do that? Just kidding. I will, but I'm super nerd. So, so here is a clip of the Fieri consort singing Marenzio's madrigal Dolorosi Martir that can be found on YouTube. And it's really exemplary of Marenzio's style. And has this really beautiful, again, this sense of line is so beautiful. And I think line is so important. And it's a concept that me as a composer, that I myself, I'm still trying to really feel like I can do. I can recognize it. You know, as a conductor, my conductor brain can recognize when it exists. But to really produce one as a composer is a different story. So, and... And it really exemplifies that horizontal concept and counterpoint, but also the madrigal expression of the text. And so here is the Fieri consort performing Dolorosi Martir.
Thanks for tuning into the show today. We had a great episode, great discussion about Marencio. I'm really excited to dive deeper into him and his music and just listen to all of it. Had a fantastic interview with Hannah Ely and the Fieri Consort and all the great stuff that they're doing. Please go check out their crowdfunder. We'll post a link to the crowdfunder in the show notes. Today's the last day to contribute to the crowdfunder, so make sure you go and donate if you're interested in that. And um, follow them and check out their website for to be able to donate anytime you want. If you like the podcast, please give us a like, a share, a five-star rating, write us a review. Those things really help us out. And be sure not to miss a single episode of Early Music Monday.